So I'm going to give you the holiday, and you tell me the, the item that we usually associate with it. Valentine's Day. A heart, very good. How about Thanksgiving? Turkey. Turkey or a pumpkin or something like that. Well, even Halloween pumpkin. But anyway, my, we were, when it comes to Christmas, there's a lot of things associated with Christmas. But what is one thing, one of my favorite things is the lighting. I mean, the lights. My wife and I were just talking about how our subdivision where we live, the, 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 lot, the houses are just filled with so many lights. Uh, I, I drove last year, I believe it was last year when we went to the mountains up around Pigeon Forge, we drove through a, uh, a display they had of lights, over one million Christmas lights. It's a lot of lights. Beautiful. When I grew up, we, when I was growing up, we used to go down to a little town called McCaddenville. Anybody heard of McCaddenville? Yeah, some of you have. The whole town is decorated for Christmas. Every yard, everybody goes out and 50,000 cars go through McCaddenville sometimes in a night. Now, why all the lights? Well, probably for several reasons. They're beautiful, but ultimately, we light up the night sky at Christmas because Jesus, the light of the world, was born. When Jesus was born, the light of God's glory entered this sinful, fallen world, and all of a sudden, the invisible God became visible. The light of heaven shone down in the birth of the Son of God. When Jesus came to man, it was the most powerful event that had ever happened on earth. And it still is today as Jesus comes to live in the lives of all who receive him. Long before the Bethlehem birth, the Old Testament prophets spoke of the, night, spoke of the light that would come into the world. And today I want to begin looking at that light in a series of messages through the month of December that I've entitled, Heaven's Light. Isaiah chapter 9 is where we begin now. Would you stand up and stretch your legs? And we honor God's word this morning. Isaiah chapter 9, just the first seven verses. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavenly oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan and Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great what? Light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them what shined? A light. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor is in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Father, thank you for your blessings upon us today and giving us the opportunity to celebrate your holy and precious name. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Heaven's light. When Isaiah opens this chapter, we see a people in darkness and gloom. The description of these people, notice that it is in Zebulun and Naphtali, two tribes. They walked in darkness, they lived in the valley of the shadow of death, they lived in a state of constant gloom and distress. 
In order to understand what happened, we need to look at the context or background of Isaiah's day. It was the 7th century B.C. And the most powerful and vicious kingdom on earth was the Assyrian kingdom. Everywhere their army went, they conquered and left a path of carnage and destruction. The nations along the Mediterranean Sea, Israel, specifically Israel, Syria, and Judah, needed to join forces in order to repel this powerful invader. They still might not have been able to. Assyria was so powerful. The problem with this coalition was that Syria itself was a very wicked and uh, ruthless nation. And Israel had sunk to a new low in corruption and idolatry. So when in the southern kingdom of Judah, when 20-year-old Ahaz became king of Judah, he refused to be part of that wicked coalition. He wouldn't pay any money to the coalition, to the Syrians. And so that brought the anger of the Syrian king against him. The anger of the Israel king, Israeli king against the nation of Judah. The Syrian king Rezin sent messengers to King Ahaz telling him that if he did not submit to them, they would destroy him and destroy the nation of Judah. And that's when God sent Isaiah to King Ahaz with a personal message, Trust me and I will save you. It was a dark day, but God promised to break through that darkness with a new revelation of himself. Look with me at verses 11 and 12, chapter 7, if you will. Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God, Isaiah said. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Syria was wicked. Israel was wicked. And the sad fact was that Ahaz and Judah were wicked. But for the sake of King David, a man after God's own heart, God would protect Jerusalem from the Assyrians. The temple was there, and God would not allow the Assyrians to come and defile his temple. So God promised King Ahaz, chapter 8, verses 11 through 14. Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy, conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, Him you shall hallow. Him you shall declare holy. Let Him be your fear, and let Him be your dread, and He will be as a sanctuary to you. You see, God told King Ahaz, don't worry about the plans of Syria and Israel. Just stay with me and honor my name, and I will protect you. It was not just Syria and Israel who had rejected God. Judah had rejected God. King Ahaz had rejected God. The whole land stunk of evil. But God was not finished with His people. Again, because He loved David, He promised David He would always have a descendant upon the throne of, of Judah, of Israel. For David's sake and the sake of a future king of righteousness brought into the world by a virgin. God would defend Jerusalem. So Isaiah went to the streets and preached to a people who were in gloom and despair. 
Don't trust, he said. Isaiah said, don't trust the political analysts to speak, who speak of conspiracies. Fear God and follow His Word, and God will be your protector. God will be your sanctuary. Friends, how much that message is needed today. People today are being brainwashed by the lies of an evil culture which has no fear of God. The souls of our children are being destroyed by evil men and women who deny the laws of nature and nature's God. We are being led by leaders who care more about the well-being of animals than they do about the lives of unborn children. This day in which we live is as dark as it was in Isaiah's day. And the solution is the same. Verses 16 and 17, chapter 8. Bind up the testimony. Seal the law among my disciples. And I will wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob. And I will hope in him, Isaiah said. Isaiah is calling upon the Lord to write his word upon the hearts of his people. A people who had turned their backs upon him. What do you think? Have we also turned our backs on the Lord? If we have, then there's only one place to turn. That is to God and His Holy Word. Listen, folks. We must, in our nation, start teaching the Word of God again. And I mean start teaching it to our children. The Word of God is the only truth which will always endure. Every word of man will eventually crumble and fall. But the word of the Lord will remain forever. Can I get an amen? Now the word of God is the constant in this life. It is the absolute truth. It's true. All of this. But that's not what our world believes today. The world, the culture believes... That truth is based upon cultural choices, not upon a written law. Many of our universities are turning out young adults who do not believe in a, young, in a real God nor in a real truth. They have rejected morality because they won't know boundaries. At least they won't know boundaries except what they set for themselves and for others. It is logical. I mean, think about it. It's logical. If... If you don't believe murdering babies is wrong, then why punish students for cheating? If, why punish them for plagiarism? Who gets to decide what is right and wrong? Friends, we're in a day of controlled darkness, of manufactured darkness, because there are powerful people in our world who want to conquer men, conquer people, conquer men, women, boys, and girls, and make them slaves of the state as much as the poor people in communist China are slaves of their communist regime. Just as sure as the wicked Syrians wanted to conquer the city of God, so wicked people today want to conquer your mind, your opinions, your communications, your travel, your finances, your family. They want to conquer everything about you. They want you to... I just read, heard on the news this past week, someone from China came and started talking about the different, the different coding that the Chinese had for people. So if you had a green code, you could travel. If you had a yellow code, you couldn't. You had a, if you were, because they've locked down because of COVID. 
And one person was saying that they were carried from, uh, they, they uh, tested positive, so they were placed in a COVID camp and not allowed to, to leave or they had to stay there. Or they could go to the store, but they had to come right back. And, or they could go one place, but the government monitored them. Would you, is that what you want? Is that what you want? You want someone monitoring your every step and telling you when you can go to the store or when you can go see your grandchildren? Is that what you want? Folks, I want to tell you something. We're in a dark day today, just like these people. The people had, were walking in a dark world, a, gloom, a world of gloom. And folks, when we're being threatened with destruction, the only place to turn is where it really helps, and that's God and His Word. Today, there's people who want to substitute their own social religion for your religion. They want, to give, they want you to abandon, to give up your antiquated faith in a traditional God. The Word of God, though, can overcome that. It can conquer any lie of the devil. But if we don't start preaching it again and teaching it again, then there will be no light to dispel the darkness. Isaiah 8.20 If they do not speak according to this word, Isaiah said, and the Lord said, if they do not speak according to this word, the God's word, there is no, it's because there's no light in them. They will pass through it hard-pressed and hungry, and it shall happen when they are hungry, they will be enraged and curse their king and their God. Are you seeing a lot of cursing today and anger? And they will look upward. They will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish. And they will be driven into darkness. I believe there's a hungry people today. In spite of all the gloom, in spite of all the darkness that we're bombarded with every day, I believe there's a hungry people today. People who have realized that this out-of-control culture has nothing to offer that will satisfy the longing of their souls. I believe there's a confused people crying out for help, saying, I'm tired of being fed the lies of evil men who want to control every aspect of my life. I'm tired of the trouble and the darkness and the gloom and the anguish. I want to hear some real truth. Well, here it is, right there. The truth of God's Word. I'm encouraged when I see parents bringing their children to church. Thank you, parents. Thank you. I'm, I'm encouraged when I see young people, youth in college age, when I see them in the church seeking more than what this gloomy world has to offer. I'm encouraged when I see homes putting up Merry Christmas again. And I'm encouraged when I see the nativity scenes decorating yards, displaying the manger where Jesus was born. I am encouraged when people search for the truth. Jesus said in John 8, 31, 32, read this with me. If you abide in my word, Jesus said, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you, what? Free. Jesus liberates. You want to find some real freedom, there's some real joy, some real peace? Find it in Jesus. Long after this world is no more, the Word of God will still be true. As strong as the influence of Satan is in our world, the Word of God is greater 
When King Ahaz was trembling in his palace at the coming of an overpowering enemy, the Lord sent Isaiah with his word to assure him that God was in control. And what Ahaz needed to do is the same thing everybody needs to do, even today. Seek Him, fear Him, trust Him. If you're going to fear someone, folks, don't fear a man who can do nothing but kill your body. Fear God who holds your body, soul, and eternity in His mighty hand. God told Ahaz, a better day was coming. And that's what God is telling you today. He's saying, trust me, fear me, follow me, and I will show you my salvation. That's what God said to the people of Judah in Isaiah's day. Light is coming, he said. Heaven's light is coming. Chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed as when... At first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people of Zebulun and Naphtali were in gloom because a conquering power was taking them away. They were capturing the people and carrying them away from their homes. They had been oppressed. There was war in their land. They had been deported from their homes by ruthless enemies, but God promised them a new day when darkness would be overcome by heaven's light. Verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great what? Light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them the light has shined. Folks, when a nation walks in darkness, that's a sad and frightening thing. But let's remember, we have to acknowledge our sin before God in order to be forgiven by God. We have to recognize that we're lost before we can be found. Isaiah said, the land east of the Jordan, the region around the Sea of Galilee, that has seen such darkness and gloom, that region would experience a great light. A light wrapped up in the coming of a new king of righteousness. The same land which once had been so darkened will be, be the first to receive Messiah's light. It would be from Galilee, Nazareth of Galilee, that Jesus would make himself known, would call his first disciples, and would declare the light of God's New Testament truth to the world. Verses 3 through 5, You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, is in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. Isaiah says, A new day is coming. A day when God will stop all oppressors and all oppression. A new day of harvest is coming when the Lord Himself will gather His people and protect them. When all man's weapons of war will become useless, burned for fuel. Isaiah never saw that day. Neither did the people of Judah in his day. But 700 years later in this little town of Bethlehem, heaven's light came down and began the fulfillment of this promise from God. The people who walked in darkness, they saw a great light. The light of the invisible God made visible in a tiny baby. The Son of Man, born a virgin. The Son of God, given to the world. For unto us, for six, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called, I love it, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
Prince of Peace, the coming of the King, the King of Kings. He would have four titles. One, he would be called Wonderful Counselor. His coming, his life, his reign would be filled with wonder, with the miraculous. You know, from his birth to the young Virgin Mary, to the miracles of healing, walking on the water, calming the storms, raising the dead, casting out demons, every part of Jesus' life and ministry was filled with wonder. It was miraculous. As the wonderful counselor, Jesus would be all wise, knowing every event before it happened. His wise leadership would be in righteousness. He would be the king of righteousness. Unlike David, who had a moral lapse, King Jesus. The Lord Jesus was perfect in every way, never committing any sin. As the mighty God, El Gabor, Jesus would exercise his sovereign power over all the earth. No enemy could stand against him. When Jesus returns, he will come not as a suffering Savior, but as the all-powerful, righteous judge and king. Before his throne, kings will bow and worship. Before his face, Satan and evil will be banished. Paul said, read with me, At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm looking forward to that, aren't you? Then he's the everlasting Father. You know, the term Father was rarely used in the Old Testament for God. And even rare when talking about a king. Jesus, however, is no mere mortal king. Jesus is Father God. He is Yahweh of the Old Testament. He is the God of covenant. In the New Testament, God is called our Father. Jesus said, when you say the Lord's Prayer, how do you begin it? What do you say? Our Father. Jesus taught His disciples to pray, Our Father. Jesus told them in His Sermon on the Mount, He talked about prayer. He said, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will, will reward you openly. Folks, that's relationship. When Jesus came to the world with the light of God's truth, he not only revealed the invisible God, He made God accessible to man. Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that He could forgive us and bring us into a right relationship with God. The blood of Jesus makes us fit for God's presence and makes us the children of God. He's not only our Savior, He's our Father and He loves us for eternity. I love what John said in 1 John 3. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. His children. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it, does not yet, it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. Because His love is everlasting, He is our everlasting Father, and that makes us, us our, His everlasting children. Then he, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. The coming of Jesus brought the peace of God and grace of God to man. As Isaiah said, the world was in darkness, controlled by Satan and clinging to evil. And folks, most of the world still is. But when Jesus came, He brought the potential for all men to have peace with God. And the only way we can have the peace of God is to have peace with God. Paul said in Romans 5, 
Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Folks, when Jesus was born, the angels told the shepherds that the coming of the Son of God brought glory to God in the highest, and on earth, God's peace and goodwill, His grace. The peace of God is only found in a personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We must have Jesus in our hearts in order to have His peace. But one day, Jesus is going to conquer this whole world. And He will rule from a throne on this earth. And the whole earth will experience His peace. All the earth. That's what Paul meant when he said we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We hope. We rejoice in the hope that the glory of God is one day going to fill the whole earth. Isaiah saw this. God let him see it in the mind of his spirit. Isaiah 2, look at this. Now it shall come to pass, Isaiah said, in the latter days, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills in Jerusalem, by the way, and all the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways, and we will walk in His paths. For out of Zion, it's Jerusalem, the Temple Mount, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Folks, when Jesus came into the world the first time as the Lamb of God, He died for our sins. He did not remove all the evil from this world then. But He gave us a way to escape the evil of this world. Through Jesus, we have the opportunity to be brought into a wonderful relationship with God, infused with His own presence. Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven so that He could prepare a place for us to be with Him. But then He sent His Holy Spirit, His own Spirit back. And today, Jesus rules by living in the lives of His children. That's where His throne is today. It's in me. It's in you. But one day, dear friend, the Lord Jesus is going to come back. He's going to return and rule over the whole earth from a throne in Jerusalem. And let me tell you that on that day, it doesn't matter... Who, how big and powerful people think they are, on that day, every single person alive will submit to His authority and worship Jesus. His reign of peace will re even restore peace to this earth, to nature. Because in that day, there's not going to be any more natural disasters. The one who calmed the storm is going to calm all the storms. And then He said, The wolf shall also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion, and fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow, can you imagine this? The cow and the bear shall graze together. Their young ones shall play together, lie down together. The lion shall eat straw, not meat. Straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den, because they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth, read that with me, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the sea. That's everywhere. 
Jesus will bring an eternal light into this world of darkness. And all the darkness of sin will disappear. He is heaven's light. And when His light fills the earth, the darkness will be gone forever. Jesus, the righteous judge, will bring the knowledge of God, the light of His truth to the world. Isaiah said in verse 7, Of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over His kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Forever He will reign. That's a long time. And folks, we've waited a long time for this day to come, haven't we? But let's remember this with God... There's no more night, there's no more day, there's no more month, no more year, just eternity. Just like one day with Jesus, we will share in that eternity with Him in His kingdom of light. So this Christmas, as we see the lights, let's remember that eternity for us is really a matter of whether we choose light or darkness. If we choose the light of Jesus, we have a glorious future ahead a future of love and peace in the presence of our Savior and King. But if we don't, if we choose to embrace darkness and live in darkness, then darkness is what we will experience for eternity. Jesus said, He who believes in Him, in the Son of God, in Jesus, is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. The Bible makes it clear. that though, Listen, we can see it with our own eyes. Those who practice evil are evil. Those who practice righteousness are righteous. It's a matter of light and darkness. Isaiah had to look forward to the coming of God's light through his Son, to a day when light and good would prevail. He had to look forward to a day when the given Son would rule on the throne of His Father David. But today, the Son of God has already been given. Jesus has already come, and you and I have to look back to the cross to find forgiveness, but look forward to His glorious return when the light of His glory will shine everywhere. That's what Christmas really is, folks. And so when you see the lights, just think about how it's a celebration of God's light, of heaven's light. For Christians, Christmas is an acknowledgement that God's promises are true, that He will always do what He has said, and therefore Christmas is also an anticipation of His glorious return. Because on that day, folks, when the Prince of Peace returns, the people of this world who walk in darkness will see a great light, heaven's light, and it will change everything. Robert Russell, a pastor and author, told the story of how about 20 years ago, there was a house near the entrance of his subdivision. They kept their Christmas lights burning long after the season was passed. They burned through January and even through the 1st of February. Those outside lights burned every night. And then through March, the middle of February, and into March, he became critical. He said, you know, if I were too lazy to take down my Christmas lights, I think I'd at least turn them off at night. But about the middle of March, there was a sign outside of their house that, house that explained why they had left the lights on, and it said simply, Welcome home, Jimmy. You see, uh, Pastor Russell went on to say, We learned that the family had a son in Vietnam, and they had unashamedly left their Christmas lights on in anticipation of his return. You know, that happened a long time ago. You know, nearly 50 years ago now, hasn't it? 
But they left those lights on waiting for their son to come home. Friends, I want to tell you something. You and I need to also today leave the lights on. I don't mean the Christmas lights outside our house. But Jesus said we're to let our light shine. His light shine in us that people might see our good works and glorify our Father. When people see the light of Jesus in us, it is the sign that we're anticipating a day when heaven's light will come and shine over all this earth. So, as your Christmas lights shine, use them as an opportunity to talk to someone about the reason for Christmas and about the peace that knowing Jesus brings. This Christmas, let heaven's lights shine through you to bring others to your Savior. Amen? Let's bow. So today, let me just ask you something. Are you walking in heaven's light? In the light of Jesus? Or do you feel like you are in, your life is one of gloom and despair? What do you feel like today? Are you controlled by Jesus? Filled with His presence and His glory? His light? Or is your life full of darkness? And Satan has control over you or part of you? And you are just suffering in the darkness. Well, today Jesus wants to liberate you. He's your place of freedom. Call upon Him. Call on Him. He wants to save you. He wants to fill you with His love and His light and His life. Open your heart to Him. Pray and say, Dear Jesus, I believe You died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe You rose from the dead and You're alive, Jesus. I believe You're alive. I ask You to forgive me for my sins. I ask You to come into my heart and life and be my Savior. Today, Jesus, I open wide the door of my heart and I say, Come in and take over. Come in and shine your light. Fill my life. Fill my gloominess with your light. I accept you, Jesus, as my only Savior. And I promise I'm going to follow you all the way. All the way to heaven. All the way to you come again. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. If you prayed that prayer, you could... In a moment, the cameras will be turned off. You can walk down to the front and say, Pastor, I prayed to accept Jesus, or you can tell me going out the door. Or if you're watching, you can send us a message and let us know we'll get back in touch with you. But let Jesus shine in your life. Lord, thank you for giving us your word that's true. In this world of darkness, we pray we want you to shine your light on it, Lord. And if you can use us, shine through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Brother Steve. Stand with us as we sing, Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus. Sins. 